Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to Move Your Mind. My name is Nick Brax, and this is a podcast where we have real conversations with real people and give real advice. On today's episode, I want to welcome Andrew Fuller. As a clinical psychologist, Andrew works with many schools and communities in Australia and internationally, specialising in the well-being of young people and their families. He's a fellow of the Department of Psychiatry and the Department of Learning and Educational Development at the University of Melbourne. He's been a principal consultant to the National Drug Prevention Strategy and the ABC on children's television shows, and is an ambassador for Mind Matters and a member of the National Coalition Against Bullying. He's written a number of books, he runs programs all around Australia and overseas. He's doing some incredible work and he's got a great message that he gets across in a really palatable way. I really enjoyed the chat with Andrew, I took so much out of it. He was able to package up a lot of information in a way that I haven't heard before and I I really think all of you guys are going to get a lot out of it too. And just once again, thanks for listening to the program. And the Move Your Mind book is now available globally. You can find all of the links at nickbrax.com slash book. And you can join the Move Your Mind community by simply going to moveyourmind.me. Andrew, thank you so much for making the time to come on my podcast. I uh, We just had a few technical issues, a few problems leading up, but we got there. So I'm just glad to finally be able to sit here and uh, have this conversation with you. Hello, Nick. Hi, listeners. It's great to be with you all. Appreciate it. Uh, so just for, for our listeners, before we go into it, are you able to uh, just give a bit of a, a background on yourself, the work you do, how you got to be where you are and doing what you're doing today? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm a clinical psychologist by training, and I started out much of my career in psychiatric crisis teams, so in very difficult situations with people who are probably experiencing some of the gloomiest parts, hours of their lives. And I was very fortunate that nobody ever really did anything disastrous, thankfully. Um, but that then led me on a, a really interesting uh, trajectory of studying a word which is so well known now that it's hard to believe, but it was the word that was largely unknown then, which was the word resilience and how basically people come over, overcome, bounce back, basically those difficult times in their lives. And that research has really led me throughout this to think about uh, brains and learning and kids and adults and different stages of life and tricky people and difficult conversations and um, lots of stuff about feelings as well. So that's a sort of thumbnail sketch of it all. That's a pretty pretty succinct um, overview. You've been able to distill probably, you know, about 30 years plus of um experience and information into into about a minute there so you've you've, it's always not easy to do (laughs) um but you know and and i was really yeah i'm really excited to to talk to you today because i think what you're doing is so important and the area you know this is like the biggest thing that needs to change over time if we are going to have a societal shift and be able to 
uh, make you know changes that are sustainable and and preventative. I think that's a huge part because so much of what's out there, which is obviously important, there's so many um, band-aid solutions and reactive solutions that we need to have. But I, I think there's nowhere, still nowhere near enough done in that preventative area, um, which it stems with early education, school, etc. You know, would you agree with that in general? Yes, I think one of the things that I observed all those years ago, which still holds true today, is that much of the difficulties that people encountered were in their relationships. And so what became really clear to me and has become even more evident is that while we often think about mental health as a kind of individual thing, really, that basically, you know, people are either mentally well or mentally not well, and mental health is something that's about building up your individual attributes. I actually think that's the wrong way to think about it, that really we are interdependent and we all thrive or do not thrive as a result of our relationships. So one of the ways I think about it is that we can only be as mentally well as our relationships allow us to be. So one of the best investments as a society, as a person, as a family, as a school, would be to put it into creating healthier, more positive relationships. Yeah, I think that's that's such a, a great point. And uh, it's something that, <clears throat> again, we're not educated on how to do that. You know, how do you have healthy relationships? How do you understand the dynamics of that? How do you, and you, I guess you can't, you know, have a healthy relationship unless you're learning about yourself as well, because then you're going to know how to put your best foot forward and how to sort of bring that to other people. But it's sort of, where do we begin, you know, with doing that and how do, how do we get taught that? It's it's something that we have to learn through trial and error. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's such an important point that you're making about learning how to do that. Are you saying that in schools that is becoming uh, something that's explored more now? It's beginning, I think. Um, one of the ways I think about healthy relationships, I mean, we are all in the care of one another, really. And I think it's important just to think about that for a moment. The metaphor that I use for a healthy relationship, and it might be a romantic one, but it could also be a friendship one or a colleague one, it's almost as if it's like entering a safe harbour from a stormy sea. So it's really important to have people in your life that, you know, you can kind of go, well, ah, oh, it's, you know, it's great. I feel kind of protected a bit from the, the buffeting of the world. And I think it's important to think about that for for some people who they spend time with you and how you can become that safe harbour for them and likewise. And so thinking about how to build what's in that safe harbour is important. We can focus a lot on the turbulence of life and there's all sorts of issues that we can talk about endlessly. But I think the really critical part is what's in that harbour, what's in that safe relationship. And what we've identified are five major features that characterise positive relationships when they're there. And trying to help people to understand those, what we call the, the big five, really, makes an incredible difference. And the five, we can go through them, Nick, if you, if you want, but it's That'd trust. That'd be great, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, the, well, so the first one's trust, so that essentially... It's very hard to imagine a good relationship without a degree of trust. And trust is a, a fascinating thing because, of course, we're all so wired to trust. We're even more wired to trust than we realise. And part of the reason why 
we are so wired to trust is, is because that's the very reason that we're here today. The reason, Nick, that you're here today is because your ancestors trusted people enough to form tribes. And so that's important to think about because if without that trust, you wouldn't exist. And so you're, you're the living evidence that collaborators won. So while we think about the, you know, the tough kind of competitor as being the really model of success often in the corporate world particularly, it's actually the collaborators that won long term. And so being collaborative, trusting is a remarkable thing. And we're also so wired to trust that we do it without even thinking about anyone who's ever been in an uber or a taxi or a plane or a train or eaten at a restaurant has trusted somebody you've never even met without even thinking about it and while trust is of course the foundation of a positive relationship it's never in itself sufficient because of course we're all human and we all make mistakes and so we have to have forgiveness and forgiveness is critical in any relationship. And as I say, when I talk to people, anyone who has ever had parents has been forgiven. Anyone who still had some friends has also been forgiven. So we all kind of require sometimes people around us to be forgiving of some of our more erroneous moments in our lives. Some people mistake forgiveness as if it's sort of a slackening off of standards. But I actually find it's an increase because it's actually saying to yourself and to the other person, we're bigger than this individual moment. We can repair this and I can repair this and try to fix it and let's move beyond it. And that really requires a broader spirit, I think, within relationships. The, um, the third area is integrity. And integrity is a really interesting concept being who you say you are and doing what you say you'll do now we yearn for this we yearn for it in our political leaders we yearn for it in our friends we yearn for it now our romantic relationships we really require it in uh, our colleagues and the businesses that we support and so without integrity people go missing in action of course and so one of the things that's interesting to me is that when people's own integrity slips, it often haunts them in dreadful ways. So some of the people who come in to see me as a psychologist for therapy, it's when their own integrity really kind of went missing and they basically are haunted by that occurrence. Mm. So integrity is so vital and it's one of the things that's interestingly a concept that teenagers particularly don't like because teenagers sort of want to get away with, I'll try, you know, I'll try, I'll have a go, I might do it. And we live in a world of maybe, of opt-out, of, oh, well, I'll see. But long-term, that doesn't serve any of us well. And so for any parents listening or any teachers listening, I would recommend you have a very low tolerance for try. Well, I'm not interested in try. I'm interested in whether we're going to do it or not going to do it. So basically, you're not interested in whether I try to have a, a conversation with you. You're interested in whether I will or won't have a conversation with you, for example. Yeah? The, the fourth one is hope. Now, we live in a world that basically often robs people of hope. And the robbing of hope is costly because loss of hope 
increases helplessness and helplessness increases hopelessness and hopelessness increases the likelihood of depression. And so there's a sort of passive inert kind of, oh, well, what's the point? And so one of the things, particularly at the moment as we speak sort of midway through 2022, is to rebuild and find, to some extent, against all reason, reasons to hope. And we need to kind of tune our ears and our sensibilities to, you know, new discoveries, new advents, new possibilities, because unless we start to recapture some of that hope, we often fall into despair and a kind of world of paralysed anxiety. And the final one is kindness. So trust, forgiveness, integrity, hope, and then kindness. And, of course, you could use all sorts of terms instead of kindness, gratitude, empathy, compassion. But I find that kindness is such a common word that everybody actually understands it. I think we all know when we're being treated kindly. And I think we all know when we are being kind or not or not being kind. And so that's why I find those five, when you've got them in place, it's almost as if you've got that safe harbour because people are treating you as trust there. We know that people are going to muck up. There's forgiveness, but there's a basic sense of I can rely on you. You're in, you've got integrity. Uh, there's a sense of possibility of hope for, for all of us. And then there's a sense of kindness. And within that, of course, that's the wellspring of good mental health, but also creativity. So it's a really interesting process. Yeah, that's thank you for sharing that, first of all. And that that is really interesting. And as you're going through those, uh, <clears throat> so many things with each topic are, were coming to mind. And I mean, there's so much to be explored in each one of those five points that you were you were talking about. And And I think like you were saying, even with integrity, when you are going against what you really believe deep down or going against your sort of values, you do feel that. And I know in my own life when I've done that, you sort of feel in your gut and everything feels heavy. You feel like something's not right. Uh, so it's being, I guess a lot of it's being able to tap into that intuition and listen to ourselves and, um, you know, what what our gut's telling us. Uh, but so much to be explored in, in that area. What what is the you know the biggest barrier to educating and implementing implementing that into into how we teach people how how do we um i mean you're doing this work of course in schools but how do we on a broad level start getting that um integrated into into our education it's very interesting <clears throat> to me the world is often very interested in problems in fact it's much more interested in problems and solutions and yep. so we're often happier to talk about trauma or difficulties or relationships when they go wrong. But the problem with, and obviously that has to be done to some extent, I'm not silly about it, but at the same time, if we never really talk about what a good relationship looks like, how do we expect people to replicate it? And so most people sure. yearn for good relationships but they've got no idea how to go about creating it or what it might require of them to give another person or a group of people in order to create that. And so, mm -hmm. but you know, the best investment, I mean, obviously making an investment into yourself is incredibly valuable, making a, relation, a relationship investment so that you improve your quality of your friendships, your social contacts, 
you don't have to be the most outgoing or extroverted person to do this. You can be quite introverted and still have great relationships. Um, means that you improve not only your relationship with other people, but your relationship with yourself. And that sets you up for a great life. Yep. And and this is an, an ongoing process as well. I guess like a lot of people think or we get taught the notion that when it comes to mental health, it's more about, like you're saying, you know, let's wait till there's a problem there and, and deal with that. And then once we've dealt with it, we then we can stop and we're going to be okay. And yeah. that's also, you know, it's not works this is an on, <clears throat> ongoing never-ending thing it's the same as saying you know if i go and go to the gym and eat well and do all these things that um help me physically you know look after myself once i achieve my goal if if i stop i'll just maintain it you, it's a it's a never-ending process so i think there's that psychology because of all the intangibles of you know some of these things we're talking about people find it hard to get their head around that it's not about an end goal or an outcome again another societal thing where we're sort of taught that everything should be about reaching whatever that thing is it's just a never-ending it's part of life it's part of how we should just embed into how we live daily yeah it's interesting so before 2019 we were still in the world of basically we had a group of people who were mentally well who were training a group of people who were yet to be mentally well <laughs> so there was sort right. of this divided world right there were these sort of people who had it all together and there were these people who basically didn't have it all together and if you know if you look at the stats basically one in five australians had a mental health problem but when you really boil that down what does it mean it means that every family in australia has at least one family member with some pretty major issues right and so that means that this affects everybody so rather than having one group who are supposedly mentally well and some group who are in need of some education in order to basically improve their mental health, the, the better way to think about it is what we all, mental health or well-being is everybody's business. And we are all, should be, on a journey of trying to increase our well-being and our quality of our relationships. And when we do that, everybody benefits and so what we're doing around australia in schools and in communities is the idea of how to build that across entire communities so we have mentally healthy good relationship you know communities that really build that strength yeah yeah definitely because that, that is the only way we can you know make long-term change in this area if it's sort of just you know um, for the problem to get solved or reactively doing things or sort of, you know, some people doing it or thinking that I only need to do this when I'm suffering, we're not going to, we're not going to make that change. So it's just, and I think like, like you, you were saying, you know, looking at it about um, just how can we just improve the quality of life through relationships in these areas that makes so much sense. Um, and it, it's how we, we are, we're meant to be in communities and supporting each other and, um, the world is you know I, I guess there's so many questions but um with social media uh how, how big of an issue are you seeing things like that in schools and and with with kids in in the effects of that social media is an interesting one um perhaps if i can just answer something before that and then we'll come back to social media please yeah sorry i was rambling a little bit there that's <laughs> no, no, good it's okay. good to ramble that's always yeah. that's where creative ideas come from um but i think we lived in a world and we probably still do a bit 
where there's that sort of us and them thinking where basically you find people who are similar to yourself and you trust them because they look the same as you or they have the similar background or they've got the right skin color or the right religion or the right culture or whatever it is right and they're supposed to be the trust one trustworthy ones and then you've got another group of people who look different than you and basically you're, you're a bit wary of those so you're kind of dividing mm. the world into us and them and the globalized world is not going to allow people to get away with it, thankfully, any longer. And so really it's, it's, it's built on a false kind of idea. So when we think about people as members of groups rather than as individual people, when I think about Nick as, you know, representative of all, you know, people who wear black tops, for example, or something like that, then I kind of Lots of black. make a judgment about it. Whereas if I can just see Nick as Nick, basically, then I am free to relate to him as a person. And so one of the things we have to help people to do is to, to learn to treat people just as individual people pretty much. Uh, because of course, if we want uh, young people to build that broader relationship, then it makes a gigantic difference. One of the most useful bits of advice I ever received as a kid, which I can't remember who told me sadly, uh, somebody said to me, when you go into a room, Find the person who is least similar to yourself and go and say good day. And it's been an invaluable bit of information to do. I mean, and there's been so many times that I've met so many wonderful people by just going up to the person who looks the most different to me. And that's not very hard. I can see my hair. Um, basically, uh, but a lot of people look different than me. But um, it's kind of interesting. You meet all sorts of interesting people that you wouldn't otherwise meet because you often got these filters on. And sorry, I've, I've started rambling. I apologize. Let's interesting. No, no, no. So interesting what you're saying there. And I think it's so, so would you, would you say it's sort of, it's in our nature to, to want to stay in our comfort zone and stay around people that have the same opinions as us that look similar, that have similar interests. And that becomes an echo chamber really, if we do that, which, you know, you see playing out again, I was asking about social media before and in, in, you know, social media, there's these echo chambers everywhere where people are sort of pushing out, you know, these um, different messages in the same circle of thinking than allowing themselves to be challenged and have, you know, critical conversations with a range of people, which I guess, how, how can we grow? How can we learn? How can we be challenged if we're not doing that? Um, and it's so easy to fall into doing it. I've, I've tried to effort in my own life of doing it but you know it's hard to do because like it's not it's sort of more normal in many ways i think for people to just fall into staying in those areas of comfort well, yeah i mean today's social media is a bit like the coliseum isn't it sort of thumbs up <laughs> thumbs down kind of world right and so we're all kind of it's like you're either invoking the death penalty or giving the permission to live um which is crazy i think that if you were going to make one change to the social media world or be to have some sort of emoji or some sort of button which would basically indicate that's an interesting idea can you tell me more um because of course curiosity is the answer to this so when somebody tells you something to go whoa that's a really weird idea rather than kind of getting defensive or trying to defend an alternative position if you could help people to become more curious about what's the person's thinking then you can start to find out more and broaden your own world and consider different perspectives because of course it's a rich world out there yeah well and and you're you're stifling creativity if you're not allowing 
people to have those opinions and exploring it and looking at these weird ideas and views. And, you know, that's where a lot of the most interesting things come from, from allowing individualism and people to have these ideas and explore it. You know, that's how we learn. So, yeah, totally. And I think it's so really... With, um, oh, sorry. There you go. That famous picture of the dress. I don't know whether you've seen it, Nick, where some people interpret it as blue and black and other people see it as gold and white. And uh, it's very clear. I show this to groups of people. And uh, people perceive the world in very different ways. And so fundamentally, they have a different way of processing information. And so understanding that then helps you to kind of become curious about, wow, you see it that way. I, that's interesting. I see it completely differently. But that's intriguing. So the curiosity becomes then a really interesting point of growth rather than being defensive or somehow shutting things down. That's so interesting. And and do you think we can only get to that point by first working on ourselves? Because I, it's so easy to go into that automatic mode of thinking, of just presuming that everyone surely sees the world the way we see it. It's hard to get your head out of that out of that mindset or if you don't have that self-awareness to really pull yourself back and think, hey, hang on, okay, I see it this way, but maybe all these to see it. I think if we yeah, have done that work, it can be very hard to have that mindset. I think we live in a world Yeah. So I think we live in yeah. a world where having a difference of opinion threatens social relationship. So if you and I see things differently or have a different point of view the almost the assumption is, particularly among young people, is we can't be friends. And so one of the things that I do in schools is I run um, this sort of like ethical propositions where I raise a proposition. Let me give you an example. And then so the example would be during the bushfires, some people, some shop sellers increased the price of bottled water because demand was higher. Do you think this is an ethical thing to do or an unethical thing to do? And generally, an audience will differ in terms of their opinions, some citing, you know, supply and demand, others talking about a social responsibility of people who need water. And what we then have, so I asked the whole group to kind of say who's for, let's say, uh, increasing the, the price of um, water during a bushfire is a legitimate, basically, economical kind of resolution of supply and demand. Let's say I made that proposition. And I'd say, who thinks that's ethical? Who thinks that's actually unethical, disagrees with the proposition? And then we start a conversation. And the conversation is designed where everyone's opinions are respected. But the idea is to try and model how to have a difference of opinion and still at the end of the day, hold our relationships with some dignity. And a really interesting experience to watch as say a group of teenagers grapple with this. And in fact, they become passionate. They become incredibly passionate as they discuss these sorts of issues. And uh, I love doing it with kids because I think they're just uh, full of ideas. But it's the first time they've ever had a really kind of humding a disagreement with somebody. That's Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Fundamentally, and still held a way of holding a conversation with somebody that's respectful. And uh, so it's a remarkable education for them. That's really cool. Yeah, exactly. And it, it's it's so healthy. That's how we learn. And so many good things that, that come from doing it. You don't want to be sitting there just trying to please everyone or not being around people that have different opinions. Uh, and and going back to, to social media, do you see a lot of mental health implications in general of, you know, kids now growing up with these platforms and all the issues of comparison and, you know, self-esteem, trying to be someone you're not trying to compare yourself to all the people that are out there. Do you, are you seeing a lot of mental health issues stem from directly from that? It's a very mixed picture, Nick, because, of course, we see lots of isolated young people who can find a group that they can identify with their tribe, if you like, through social media. So we can basically have virtual connections which are just as meaningful as uh, as face-to-face ones. Now, I, uh, being of a certain age, basically doubted that until the land of Zoom, where I started to really become aware that I could form these really strong friendships, even though I'd never actually met the person face-to-face. And it was surprisingly powerful. So I, I, I think that there is that capacity to broaden into a social, virtual friendship group, which is incredibly supportive when it's supportive. So that's the upside. Mm-hmm. And, and, of course, that means, of course, that we can then provide for people in, with some needs, of course, some coaching, some ideas, some ways of helping them to overcome difficulties in a virtual world uh, and sometimes in a simulated world as well. So increasingly what we're looking at is virtual reality and simulated gaming type experiences to give people an, a way of solving problems that they deal with in their, you know, in their non-virtual lives. And that's, that's a fascinating area. The downside, of course, is that we still live in the Colosseum of basically, is your opinion deemed valid or not? And so one of the things we have to think about then is how do we build these sort of creative kind of uh, bubbles within, bubbles is probably the wrong word because bubbles seems to be enclosed an echo chamber. But what I mean by them are, are places where people can feel safe to discuss particular ideas about an issue and not be open to kind of vilification terribly much. So yeah. it's important to do that. So I think there's a, we've got a long way to go in this area, but I think overall, I would say that while there is certainly damaging cyberbullying at times, and there's no doubt that's dreadful, and we can talk about that, there's a, the upside is important also to talk about, that the potential of this to really connect people across the world, to link people in different ways, to have rich diversity of experiences is also really positive. Yep, the upside almost outweighs the the downside, and like you're saying, is probably going to keep improving as technology increases and we become more familiar with it. And I guess it's still, you know, at the very beginning stages, it's still almost like the wild west with all of these new technologies and how we interact with them and how we sort of learn um, how they can be used for all stuff. Like it's still so early, so who knows in you know ten, twenty, thirty years time where that will be at and how effective that will be. So I think it's a good point. And, you know, I love what you're saying as well about, um, you know, I think we can, and even some of my questioning, you know, we can have a tendency to look at 
at the negatives of all of these things rather than focusing like okay you know that's there but like how can we what's a positive how can we get the most out of these things what are the good things that are happening because otherwise it can can all seem doom and gloom if we uh delve too into that side of it and um i guess yeah so did you see with um covid uh how did you see that in in schools i guess a lot of issues came about during that time technology zoom like you talked yep. about probably helped a lot what, what were the, some of the things you noticed through that through that period well certainly the first thing that i noticed was how heroic teachers truly are i think their capacity to really change their business model overnight virtually into an online environment was incredible and i think it's unsurprising that most of our educators probably now are absolutely stuffed and exhausted because they've been putting in you know really hard yards for you know a couple of years now so we just need to celebrate them and really give them a bit of a break um but in terms of the i mean the demographic shifts in australia have been remarkable i mean the shift towards regional kind of areas which will change of course the character of some of those areas and the economic futures of those so that in some ways there's been quite a great possibility i think there's some some fascinating possibilities that come out of this and so again while it's easy to draw ourselves into the negatives it's important to think about well what can we gain out of this that basically links australia links the world in different ways mm. and how can we use it to then become a, a more egalitarian society so the divide between country and city the divide between remote basically some of those perils of distance have been lessened through this uh, ability to kind of provide education and social linkages online now of course we still matter to one another and we still matter in terms of spending time face to face as well so i guess one of the other lessons of the time was that we missed one another greatly and so particularly young people and i think the people who i think suffered most were sort of uh, the sort of early 20s age group who of course are kind of looking to get out and about and have a lot of fun and so on and couldn't really and so for those people embarking on careers or embarking on university courses or TAFE courses, it was a terrible time, really, of disappointment. So the milestones that they had were, were missing, which was very tough for them. And then, of course, you've got this other group yep. who were basically at, at, at secondary or high schools who were kind of, I suppose, academically, they're progressing okay, but socially, they weren't basically getting themselves together. So in the business of life generally we kind of survive by you know sometimes uh, coming up against people who have different opinions or different attitudes and somehow sorting that out and have, that helps to mature us and to diversify us what we've done in the last year or so is miss out on some of that maturation and so we end up having this kind of divided world that's ill-equipped to basically overcome relationship differences which is again why we need to really focus on that as an area i think absolutely absolutely you know learning about that and um you know you we touched on it um at the beginning and you talk a lot about resilience um what 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 does it mean what do you think it means to be resilient and and how can we foster that well resilience i've defined once as the happy knack of being able to bungee jump through the pitfalls of life so that 
when there are obstacles, how you rise above them. And um, I love that. <laughs> Thank you. That's, yeah. Yeah. It's a good way to put it. Yeah, because I think we get taught that, you know, we need to try and learn how to not have problems in life or how to, you know, how to get to a point where everything's going to be okay. And it's like, no matter who the hell you are, we're all going to, that's life. It's going to be cyclical. It's going to be up and down. So I think it's the wrong message. Anyway, sorry. Um, yeah, but that's absolutely right. So you know, we're all going to have problems. In fact, the problems are interesting. I, I managed to uh, do life maps with 500,000 people. Um, and it's uh, wow. one of the one of the advantages of running workshops. You get people to do things and they'll do them. Um, and <laughs> one of the things that was really evident was that often people have very dark moments in their lives, but after that period, often there's a period of very strong positive growth that's sustained. And so, and I'm sure if I'd gone back, let's say if you'd had a difficult time, Nick, and I'd gone back to you at that very moment when things were hard and said, oh, don't worry, you'll get over this, it's going to be fine. You know, in fact, you'll be a, an improved version of yourself as a result. You would have probably told me to go to hell, really, um, and quite rightly so. But at the same time, I think it's important to realise that we do in our lives have ups and downs. They are to some extent predictable. That's a whole other conversation. And uh, they are really interesting growth points in our lives, even though they're tough. And so the things that basically we are, uh, it's some of our toughest moments will teach us the most, sadly. <laughs> Thank you so much for supporting Move Your Mind. We're expanding the offerings of the organization and we're tailoring everything we do to suit you guys and to try and answer to all of your needs and the questions that you send in. The book is available globally. You can find all of the links at nickbrax.com book. And we've just released the Move Your Mind community. We've currently got a men's community group a women's community group, a general group. We're going to be loading up other groups and you can find all of the links at moveyourmind.me. This group's been created based on the needs of what we've heard and learnt throughout running Move Your Mind. And we have live events, we've got courses, we've got huge amounts of value, the ability to share information, share ideas, work in groups together to, to grow and share your learnings, to learn about different topics. You get email reminders. There's a whole lot of features in there. We're constantly updating it, and we're so excited to share it with you. You can find all of the information about it at moveyourmind.me. Yeah, but no, it's true. Sadly, but uh, like you're saying, you know, you wouldn't want to go back and relive these things that happen when you're going through them. They're so all, you know, the emotions are so hard and they're so consuming that you almost can't rationalize with yourself that, hey, maybe I'll learn something from this. But we do. And you wouldn't, you know, I'd hate to have life where everything was just okay all the time because you need, you know, you need the darkness for then the beauty in life and for the lessons and for all the, all the other parts. If it was just all one level, then there'd be no depth to anything. So I think it's trying to learn that. And then I guess the more experience and knowledge you have of that when you are going through those dark times, you can try and remind yourself that, you know, I might be feeling this overwhelmed at the moment and it might feel like it's never going to get better, but it will. If I look mm. at all the touch points from the past, it did get better. Actually, I learned a lot. It, it led to bigger and better things. So I'm going to trust in that. And I think the more experience you have doing that, the better you get at doing it. And it, it does allow you to you know cope with whatever life throws at you. So it's, it's such an important thing. And the tough times can be a bit long lasting at times. We don't want yeah. them to be, but sometimes they can be. And 
the really joyful moments of life are often fleeting. And so one of the things, the arts of life, is to basically know that the dark times aren't all there is going to be. But the other part of it is the art of capturing the best of life. So when the sun's on your back and the birds are singing and there's a, a lovely breeze sort of caressing the skin on your face, enjoy it. <laughs> Make the most of it. It may not always last forever. So you really want to enjoy the moments that are really you want to absorb those as well as you possibly can. Um, and so there's two kind of art forms. One is knowing about misery a bit and hard times and how to get through that. And the other part is how to take on the best of life so that we become more buoyant, more positive, more, more joyous in our, in our existence, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I think of it like continually walking on a tightrope because you have to be so conscious of these things that, like you're saying, when we're going through the difficult times, reminding yourself that there's learnings and it will get better when you're going through the good times, appreciating it without getting, you know, because it's very easy to get attached and addicted to the positive things and then just chasing a high and almost not allowing yourself to process negative things. And uh, again, you know, we talked quite a bit about it in, you know, today, but um, society teaches us to, try and strive for the next thing and, you know, capitalism and what's next and more I need to acquire. And then we get addicted without knowing it to these things. So it's such a sort of tightrope to find that balance. And I guess it requires checking in, going back to what you talked about. Relationships are going to, if you have those healthy relationships, it's going to help you to be true to yourself. And, you know, you can't get away with it if you've got people that are holding you accountable. So, um, yeah, anyway, it's an interesting thing. Yeah, so the, sort of the false image is sort of like a ladder where I should scale this ladder and become more and more successful and have more and more of this or more of that. And compelling. And it's okay to basically try to do that in the area that you're very passionate about. What will really give you life satisfaction is by contributing to other people. So it's not about your own individual attainment. It's really your own individual contribution. And so building communities where everybody has a contribution to make and that contribution is valued becomes the sort of way of knitting together a community so it becomes mentally healthy. Yeah, it's about a bigger picture, not not just yourself. And um, and I guess on the flip side, that was what I was going to ask you before at the beginning. And again, not trying not to keep going to the negative here, but um, how, how many relationships do you feel are toxic or codependent, you know, and, and negative and, 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 and how, how, how bad can the implications of that we don't do something about it? Well, in a way, I think all relationships are codependent. <laughs> so, so in a funny kind of way, I'm not sure that I understand that terminology, to be honest, because that sort of has this sort of world in which the idea is to be independent and therefore this self-reliant kind of person who can cope by themselves and i just don't find most people function that well as well they find relationships where they either work for them or don't work for them those that they can contribute to and those that perhaps don't work out because the contributions are not valued and i guess part of the art of life is really to find the people who value what you've got on offer and hang around with them and the people who don't value what you have to offer, well, don't 
don't judge them or, or blame them. Just don't spend too much time with them. I mean, you know, not everyone values what Pretty I have simple. to offer. I'm sure of that, you know. Um, so, so, it's so it can be simplified. Yeah. That's right. It's not about them being wrong. It's just going, okay, well, I'm not, not their cup of tea. Okay, fair enough. Um, move yep. on. But there's enough people in the world to kind of, you know, find your, your group. I think that's a much more refreshing way to look at it because there can be, you know, people can get caught up in, oh, no, I've got to, you know, get myself completely stable and independent and work on all these different things so that then I can be independent within a relationship. And, you know, some of it I think is healthy, but then it can be taken to this crazy level where you're over-analyzing and over-engineering things where, you know, like you're saying, we all need relationships. We've all got flaws. We've all got things that, you know, are good and bad about us and whatever. It's just... It can be, yeah, a lot of things probably can be over-engineered to a point of unhealthiness. So It's interesting um, to see quite a number of depressed people come in for therapy, and I'll say to them, well, who relies on you? And they'll look at me kind of oddly, and I'll say, well, and we identify who relies on them, and I'll say, well, how can you contribute more powerfully to them? And they, mm, they look at me mm. as if, hang on, I'm here for my problems. You know, I'm feeling depressed. I need... And I mean, severe depression is a dreadful thing. I'm not belittling it by any means. But at the same time, part of the cure of depression is giving, giving of yourself to other people. So the idea that I somehow have to fix myself before I can give is not mm. the answer. It's basically fixing yourself through giving to other people. Yeah. So because once you, once you make a contribution to somebody else, then you value your own contribution more highly. So basically, most people build who yourself them to yeah, do it. Most people yeah. who are depressed are, are sort of told to focus on themselves, but they don't care about themselves. They don't value yeah. themselves. So it's kind of like a yeah. false equation, really. And so it leads nowhere. Whereas if I say, well, I want you to focus on who you could take care of better then that becomes a starting point for valuing yourself. So it's almost like from the outside in. Change what you do, and then you change the way you view yourself. I, I really, that's that's really powerful. I, you know, thank you for sharing that. I really love that. And it just makes so much sense on, on all levels because, you know, when you are in that state, it's almost the worst thing you can do is you're often in that state from over-analysis and trying to think your way out of a problem that you can't think your way out of and it'll get worse and worse the more you think about it and you go deeper so it's like you need to just snap snap that whole cycle and do something baby step so yeah i really love that so anyway um oh sorry you go. no 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 i was i was just i didn't know you had more to add yeah please go I think there is moments for all of us in our lives when we should be a bit like a hunting dog where we pin our ears back, we put one paw up and we sniff the breeze and we just wait to see what shows up rather than forcing ourselves to kind of either you know, buck ourselves up or essentially go in a particular direction. There are times when the way forward is uncertain and to be more patient with that and patient with ourselves is, is partly healing yeah and and realizing that you know this whole thing about i don't want uncertainty in my life even when things are more certain they're still uncertain we don't we can't really control anything you know and i think the pandemic taught everyone that that no matter what the hell we're doing 
things can change in the click of a finger. So, you know, be okay with the uncertainty because we, you know, we can only put our best foot forward. That's all we can do. That's right. So I've got five closing questions. These can be sort of quick answers, whatever comes to mind that we um, finish every episode with. Before we go into that, uh, where I'll put this in all of the show notes as well, but where can we send our listeners if they want to learn more about you and the work you're doing? There's two websites that I have. One is uh, andrewfuller.com.au. Lots of free downloads on that, by the way. And the other one is mylearningstrengths.com. Mylearningstrengths.com allows people to analyze their learning strengths and they get a, an email from me that says, congratulations, Nick, you're really good at this and this. Come up another area, his way of doing it. And there's also free downloads there as well. So have a look at those two. Great. Okay. Well, yep. Yeah, they'll again go in the in the show notes. All the links will be there. So yeah, anyone listening, please do go to those and have a look at the resources because it'll be you know further further information from what we've been talking about today. Uh, so going back to these uh, five closing questions, the first one is uh, what did you like most about your childhood? Uh, I loved growing up in Geelong in a really beautiful street um, with great a great neighbourhood. I spent every breakfast time having breakfast with my neighbours as a child, and Love that. I had a great family. But at the same time, I'd you know wander at next door every morning for breakfast. It was a remarkable thing. Great childhood. That's so nice. And and so you you grew up in Geelong. Are you a Geelong supporter? I am indeed. There you go. I like you even more now. So my I've grown <laughs> up in a mad keen Geelong. Um, it wasn't even a choice, but I grew up idolising Gary Ablett Senior, going to all the games, and yeah, our whole family, apart from my mum, she's a Melbourne supporter, everyone else Geelong. It's like a religion <laughs> in the family. <laughs> so there you go. Um, what what would you say is the biggest uh, burden on mental health in society today? I think the idea that somehow we should be more than we truly are, that there's a lot of people who just believe that they're not enough. And so what we've done is we've narrowed the definition of success too narrowly. And there's many, many ways to be smart. There's many, many ways to be successful. And so if we can broaden that out again, then just we have this group of people who feel that, you know, better about their lives. Oh, it calmed me down even just hearing you say that because I think we all fall into that thing, you know, I need to, need to do this and that and blah, 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 and you just it's just not possible. So, yeah, it is. It's, it's like reminding yourself, you know what, I'm, I'm enough. I'm enough yeah. already and that's okay. You know, we're gonna, I'm going to do my best. It's refreshing to, to remind yourself that. Um, you say is your personal definition of happiness oh um i think it really is just spending time with people who i love and just the support of those people is my absolute joy apart from the odd cats we i must say particularly against hawthorne but that's um <laughs> exactly a hawthorne win yeah exactly you can't beat that <laughs> There you yep. go. I love it. I love it. It's more than possible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what are you most afraid of? Uh, I think I'm afraid of boredom. Really, I, I, 
I find that I, I need to have a lot of diversity and interest in my life and I'm somebody who's born to basically do things. So um, I don't give myself the opportunity to be bored and I think part of the reason is because I, I, I fear it at some level. So obviously I, I become quite industrious and possibly at times a bit overly so, but at the same time, you know, I, I don't want to basically be bored. I want to be intrigued by the world and its wonders. Yeah, I love that. And you seem like you're, you know, you've got a lot of creativity, which with creativity, you know, you need to, to for that to, to nurture that, you have to be challenging and challenging yourself, looking at new ideas, trying new things. It's, it's so important, which is a beautiful thing about life as well. Yeah. Um, so the final one, um, what are you personally most proud of? Um, oh, I think that's... Uh... There are so many opportunities I've had to work with people who are, have had some dreadful experiences in their lives and to be there at times. And to be honest with you, I sit with them and I have no idea really what to do. It's not about basically here's something, I have this magic wand and I can fix them. But I learned that basically by sitting with people and just talking about life, the strange thing called life, that that enables them to begin the process of healing. And that healing is a wonderful thing. And so I've now been doing this for long enough to basically have people come up to me, you know, 30 years later and tell me about what that meant for them in their lives. And I find that incredibly heartwarming that, you know, just having that time and that preparedness not to have a set agenda for a people, but, but to basically uh, sort of almost walk alongside them or sit alongside them and just think about the situation without necessarily rushing to, here's the right solution for you, um, has been remarkable. Absolutely. And I feel yeah. very, very pleased that that's occurred. Well, you know, what, what more, what, what better feeling can you get than, than that? And it's a, a great way to finish, finish the, um, the episode. So look, thank you so much for making the time to come and talk to me. Um, I'm glad we finally got there with all the technical glitches and everything else and really enjoyed the chat, love all the work you're doing and just glad I got to connect with you. So yeah, we, we do really appreciate you making the time. Thank you, Nick. I'm honored to have had the conversation and the time with you. Appreciate it. Thanks to Andrew Fuller for joining me today for Move Your Mind. And just another reminder that the Move Your Mind book can be found at nickbrax.com book. And you can join the Move Your Mind community by simply going to moveyourmind.me. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.